Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And here at FCBC, here's how we say it. We live, we love, we serve. All right. Come on, beloved. I want to, I want to, I want to speak to those of us today who've ever wrestled with whether or not what we were doing was what we were supposed to be doing. Anyone who's wrestled with whether or not you have some assignment from God, and maybe not some specific assignment because the truth of the matter is those of you who've read my book in the book, I said that our, our goal in life, all of our goals, is to simply live, to live. But in that living, there's sometimes those moments where who we are and what we are can be a little murky. Sometimes we just want a little clarity in terms of what we're supposed to do. And so today, I want to just address those of you who may be in that season of discerning or wrestling with who you are, what you are called to do. So in the gospel according to Mark, the first chapter, I want to lift up verses 9 through 11. Mark 1, the first chapter of the gospel of Mark, verses 9 through 11. And I'm reading from the New Revised Standard version of Scripture this morning. Here's how it reads. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Come on, beloved, let's pray. God, it is often in our moments. We're not always clear about next steps or new direction. You have a way of moving wherein we find ourselves being drawn to the spaces and places that are connected to our assignments. God, thank you. Because in those moments where you are moving, It is as if you are moving us to a space and moving the space to us. So God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for seeing us. 
Thank you, God, for breathing on us. Thank you, God, for surrounding us with your love and your kindness and reminding us of the power of patience. God, thank you. Thank you, God. Because what might ease our anxiety and bring comfort in times of trepidation is that you are with us. And God, many of us have learned through many dangers, toils, and snares. We've learned that at times your presence is more important than your performance. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for walking with us. Thank you for talking with us. Thank you for reminding us that we belong to you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So, God, we're leaning in. Not always knowing the outcome, but we're leaning in with faith in you. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let me read that scripture again, beloved, in your hearing this morning. Mark 1, 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Amen. This morning, I want to speak briefly from this subject, muddy waters. Muddy waters. Yeah. Sometimes we have an expectation that somehow we should have some level of clarity about who we are and maybe who God desires us to be. That feeling that we should have some clarity is often what causes great consternation for many of us because we get to certain seasons and points of our lives with an assumption that we should know the path we should be on or at least clear about the direction we should be going. But you don't have to live long to realize that it doesn't always work that way. That this journey is not always neatly packaged in a way that you have absolute clarity about your life or your direction or your assignment or what you should be doing. And, you know, I, I've discovered in my life that, that 
There are times when we are fine with not knowing, but somehow we put ourselves on these imaginary clocks and timetables and begin to measure ourselves against these imaginary clocks and timetables and think that at some point we should be at this point. At this age of my life, I should be here. At this point in my life, I should be further along. Many of us have wrestled with that and part of the consternation that arises when we're not doing what we think we should be doing or not in position that we think we ought to be or not with the assignments we ought to be gravitating towards is because somehow we think that we should be clear and our clarity should be connected to maybe longevity of years or age. But I want to tell somebody that's not the case because I know many people who get to certain points in their lives, whether it's their 40s or 50s or even 30s or 60s. Sometimes you look back over your life with a level of disappointment thinking that you should be at a different place than you are right now. And oftentimes it comes as a reality of two things. Either you have that imaginary timetable in your head or you're busy comparing yourself to other people. And somehow in that point of comparison, we begin to think, I should be further along than that. And then let me add this part. If people know you and they and they see something powerful in you or they recognize some gift in you or they see some special power that you may have, they begin to think, well, surely he or she must be aware of the giftedness, the power, and he or she should be at a different place right now with all that they have and all that they possess. They should be further along. And those people who sometimes even utter those words to you, not realizing that they're all always, in some ways, making you even feel worse because the assumptions they make about you are not even the assumptions you make about yourself. And then you find yourself feeling as though you're late, feeling as though you're off, saying things like, I should have been clearer when I was younger. I should have had more direction long ago. The truth is, the timing of the movements of the episode of your life are not always on the timetable you create. And people who may think they understand what you should be doing because of your gifts, because of your assignments, in some way, shape, or form, ultimately don't really know either. But the pressure we can put on ourselves because of people's assumptions about us or even our expectations of ourselves can be traumatic. I'm going to say that one more time. The pressure we can put on ourselves because of other people's expectations or the pressure we put on ourselves can be traumatic. I feel like I need to say that one more time for the people in the back. Sometimes the expectations of others and the pressure we put on ourselves can be traumatizing when we're not meeting the expectations of others or the expectations we put on ourselves. This scene in Mark 1 is one that really speaks to this in a strange way. 
I, I, I know that many of us want to believe that somehow, and there's nothing wrong with this, that somehow Jesus was always clear from day one, that he was always clear about assignment, always clear about who he was and what he was supposed to do, especially given some of our theological suppositions. And then we'll say things like, you know, well, you know, he was definitely clear because in, 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 in the Bible, it says that when Jesus was 12, he was already walking in his identity. And I'm always amazed by this when people say that when he was 12, he was teaching in the synagogue. But although the text never says when you look at it that he was teaching, it says that Jesus was in the synagogue at 12. You know the story. Not another day I'll talk about it. When his parents were looking for him because they thought he was lost and he was in the synagogue at 12. And it said that he was in the synagogue with the priests, with the teachers. And it said he was doing two things. Well, one, he told his parents, did you not know I would be about my father's business? But then we see what the father's business is. Strange. It said that he was listening and asking questions. Can you imagine if that is what God's business is for us? To cultivate the capacity to listen and to ask questions so that we can grow and learn. That's what he was doing at 12. And all were amazed by his responses, his engagement. They were amazed. And he was 12. We make the assumption that at 12, he was clear. And so if he was clear at 12, he should be clear at 30. But man, sometimes life happens between adolescence and adulthood. Sometimes life happens in a way where you don't always feel like you have the same courage and confidence you had when you were a child. Have you ever experienced that, that as life happens and life wanes and life continues, somehow that carefree spirit, that confidence that you had as a child wanes away? The other night, my granddaughter, I got to talk about my granddaughter. My granddaughter was staying at my house and she was playing with her father and playing with me and playing with her grandmother. And she would do this game when she would get like to the edge of the bed and we would be sitting in the chair or the edge of the couch and she would just jump. And sometimes it would scare us. She would just jump and we'd rush her to catch her. Her father might rush to catch her. And I was always nervous, but she was never afraid because when you're young, you have to be taught to be afraid. You have to be taught to be scared. That's why children are so amazing if you pay attention, their courage, their confidence, but also their obedience at times. And maybe why Jesus said you can't enter kingdom of heaven unless you become like a child. That courage, that confidence, that tenacity, that resilience, all of that is there. And so just because at 12 he got it don't mean at 30 he wasn't wrestling about it. I'm convinced. Let me, let me, let me dig a little bit deeper in this scene. In this scene. Here it is. Maybe Jesus was that child who was told that there was something special about him. Maybe, maybe his mother even tried to allude to the stories and the narratives that predated his birthing about his significance, the story around his birth, who he would be. And I don't know, I don't know if Mary ever told him that, but I can imagine there might have been moments where she sought to pour into him and remind him of how significant he was and how gifted he was and, and how special he was. And can you imagine hearing those stories, hearing those narratives of how gifted you are and how special you are? 
are. And then as a child, you begin possibly to lean into those narratives that reflect on your giftedness and your specialness or maybe your abilities. And I can hear like most good mothers might try to make their child feel extremely significant. God has something great for you. I see good things and great things in your future. God has something very special set aside for you. We all know those stories. And when you're a child, they are the kind of stories that empower you, that galvanize you, that build courage and confidence and esteem and beat back the tide that will come of insecurity that comes by way of living and engaging other people. And as the years go on, that significance, that specialness, that uniqueness you feel can be beat down by people who don't see it, beat down by people who don't care about it, beat down by even people who may see your specialness, your significance, and then jealousy arises in them. And there's no recognition of your significance. There's only an attempt to thwart it by thwarting your thinking about you. And as the years go on, I wonder if his courage and confidence and his uniqueness began to wane. It doesn't mean he's less gifted and less powerful, but you cannot say that he's fully human if he does not feel like a human being. Because we all feel that. Add this to the equation. Can you imagine being told that you are significant and special and that somehow, and that somehow, like David was told, Israel's hopes might rest on you. And living with that weight. And maybe you're sitting around one day waiting, but when will the time come? When will it happen? Because I know I've been there when people see and identify some uniqueness, some significance, and some specialness. But here you are not always seeing it, not always feeling it. You've had time and life has kind of beat down that courage and confidence. And you begin to say things like this, well, God, if it is true, when will it happen? When will it click? When will it become clear what I'm supposed to do and where am I supposed to do? We all have those moments. I've had them. You've had them where you try to wrestle. When will it happen, God? When will the time be? And then here's what to add to the equation. While you're wrestling with your significance, your uniqueness, your specialness, especially when you've been told this, now you see other people seemingly prospering in their clarity and moving forward. And now you not only have the pressure from yourself and the pressure from people, but now you see other people moving forward in a way that you think possibly you should be moving forward. And then you begin to doubt the significance, doubt the courage, doubt the confidence. Can you imagine Jesus being made to feel so significant most of his childhood? And then as he gets older, possibly some of that courage may fade. And while he's fading or struggling or looking for clarity or not so confident, he has to see his cousin begin to rise. That's what Mark says, that, that John was out there in the wilderness baptizing. And I know that we get this image of a crazy man wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey. But here's the thing. John might have been a little crazy, but here's what the scriptures say. The people were flocking to him. People were flocking to him to be baptized. They wanted to be transformed. They wanted something new. They came to John with an expectation that somehow in their encounter with John, something would feel different or something would feel new or maybe their lives would be changed and they came to be baptized and John would be preaching to them about repentance and getting their lives together. And Jesus has to hear these stories of how his cousin's popularity is growing. People in all the Judean Valley and all of Jerusalem, it said, in the Galilee, in Nazareth, in Jerusalem, in the capital city, are making their way out there by the river with the wild man. And here you are, 
wrestling with who you are, looking for clarity and waiting for assurance, but have to see the prosperity of other people and wondering when your time will come or here's what really happens. You begin to tout the doubt that you ever had a time. Jesus, Jesus made up in his mind. Something compelled him, I think, to leave the Galilee and to travel to the Jordan where his cousin was. What we don't get from the scripture is that there are no cars, there's no mass transit. And to get from the Galilee to the Jordan River is about a three-day walk. Can you imagine what that walk must have been like for him? I bet there were times along that three days that he wondered about going back. What am I doing? You felt that way. When you start a particular course of action, thinking that somehow the course of action may give you clarity, help you in a path, and you begin to doubt the very course of action, and you wonder, are you wasting your time? Is this meant for me? Three days of questioning, three days of wrestling. Jesus doesn't know some of the things that his cousin is saying, like this little caveat he told people. He said, yeah, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's one who's coming after me who's very sandals. I'm not even worthy of untying. He will come baptizing you with this thing called the Spirit. Like, it's one thing when you see somebody else prospering, but it's another thing when the person you see prospering is acknowledging that they ain't the end all and be all. The kind of humility it takes when people are thronging to you because of what you're doing, but to recognize that you ain't it. Can you imagine the amount of humility that was running through John to be able to say to other people at other times, no, I ain't the one. You may come out here thinking I'm the one, and in fact, I won't even let you make me the one because I'm clear about my assignment. My assignment is to prepare the way for the one, but I ain't the one. Can you imagine the level of humility it takes when you get in all that attention, but you're not letting it go to your head? You're not letting the attention shrink you. It happens to so many people. There's some people who can't handle attention, can't handle a little celebrity, can't handle a little fame. And I don't even understand why so many people in this culture and climate often grope for it. Because sometimes you have a desire for something that you may not be emotionally able to handle. And so even in that moment, while Jesus is making his way to John, John is not full of his self. And John is recognizing someone is on the way. Three days he must journey to the, to the Jordan. Three days he wrestles. Three days he struggles. I know some people don't like to think about that, but the text helps me with this. And I know there's some people listening saying, Pastor, I don't agree with that. I don't know if I agree with the fact that Jesus didn't fully know, but why do you need Jesus to fully know? Because here's what I learned. Just because you may wrestle with the gift don't mean you don't have the gift. And wrestling with something does not mean negation of the assignment. It means, like we say, he was human. Jesus gets to the Jordan. He decides that he's going to be baptized. This is a powerful moment. Because I'm not sure if Jesus fully walked in the assignment yet, but I will tell you there's some clues here. He goes and he is 
baptized in the Mark version of it. Jesus comes and he is baptized. There's no conversation between he and his cousin like in the Gospel of Luke's version. Mark's version doesn't give any conversation with John or John recognizing him. John simply baptizes Jesus in the Jordan. Pause for a second. The Jordan is not a big river. In fact, the Jordan is a small river. It's more like a stream almost. But here's the key. It is dirty. Some would even say muddy. It's amazing to think what can happen, happen in that kind of space. Jesus goes into the murky, muddy, dirty Jordan. He's baptized in the murky, muddy, dirty Jordan. And when he comes out of the water, look at the language of Mark. The heavens are torn apart. And the spirit descends in the form of a dove on him. Just capture the scene. And then a voice speaks. Now, beloved, when you read this story in Mark and Luke, they're similar. In Matthew, it's a little different, and this is why it's important. In Matthew, this scene is not for Jesus. It's for the people who read in the story. Because in Matthew and other, in, other, in the other Gospels, it says this. When the Spirit descended, a voice from heaven spoke, and the voice from heaven made an announcement, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That announcement is not for him, it's for the people around to see, to know who he is. But Mark and Luke do something different. The voice does not say, this is my son. It says, you are my son. Well, hold on for a second. That you are my son is important because if you're clear about identity and clear about assignment, why would God have to remind Jesus who he is? We miss this sometimes. And sometimes God has a way of confirming and validating us in those moments. Sometimes we doubt who we are and doubt the nature of our call and doubt the nature of our assignment. And somehow through these mechanisms of God, God makes it clear. And in this scene, when the heavens are torn apart, can you imagine the imagery that is given by the gospel writer? Jesus goes down in the muddy water and comes up and hears a mighty voice. I'm going to say that again. He goes down in the muddy water, comes up and hears a mighty voice. And that mighty voice speaks to him. You are my son. In whom, well, no, the beloved in whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine? What do you mean, well pleased, God? I haven't done anything yet. I don't even really know the assignment. I'm not clear about the direction because I thought being pleased with me is connected to my productivity and my work. And here it is before Jesus does one single solitary thing. He already has the pleasure of God. Somebody needs to hear that because in this moment, God's pleasure with him ain't based on his productivity or his work. The ministry hasn't started. One sermon has not been preached. Not one teaching has gone forth. Nobody has been healed. And before he did one single thing, God said, I'm already pleased. Somebody needs to hear that today. Somebody needs to know this this morning, especially those of us who equate our value with the products we produce, who equate our value with our work. Here, God says, already valued, already loved. I'm already pleased. And he ain't done nothing yet connected to the assignment given. Someone needs to hear that this morning who thinks somehow you have to win God's favor or win God's pleasure or do something to earn God's favor. Here, Jesus in this scene reminds all of us that somehow the favor of God and the pleasure of God can rest on you before you do anything. Now, there's some people say, no, no, Pastor, that ain't how to work. Well, I hate to bust your bubble. It does work that way. 
Because sometimes, for many of us who wrestle with identity and clarity, that kind of affirming word is all we need. It's all we need. You are my son. Period. I love you. Period. And I'm pleased with you. Period. You are my daughter. Period. I love you. Period. I'm pleased with you. Period. What could that unleash in your spirit if you heard that from the beginning? Before you did anything, before you went anywhere, before you honored any call, before you fulfilled any dream. From the very beginning, you are my child, period. I love you, period. And I'm pleased with you. And there's nothing that can change that. That's the part that some Christians get mad about, that there's nothing that can change that. No, there's nothing that can change the pleasure, the love of God. And if I can change it, who's powerful? God spoke to him. Well, let me back up a little bit and now connect some dots. Clarity came when he came out of the muddy, murky, dirty river. Can you imagine that somehow getting clean means getting dirty first? That somehow clarity is connected to the willingness to enter those muddy waters. And maybe for you, beloved, this morning, the muddy waters are not the Jordan. Maybe the muddy waters are significant because it symbolizes murky spaces in your life where you can't always see and you don't always understand where even confusion may abound and it seems like there's no answers and you wrestle to understand it but sometimes you got to go into those spaces can you imagine going into the muddy waters to find yourself that somehow being in those murky spaces where we often run away from are the very spaces that we emerge out of. Oh, you got to get that. Sometimes the very spaces we try to avoid and run away from are the very spaces that we emerge out of. Because when he emerges out of it, well, nothing really changes, but everything changed. Well, isn't this a deep part? I'm going to add this, and this is just me meddling, using my imagination. What if God had always been speaking? What if God had been speaking the entire time? What if God had been speaking the whole three days, but he couldn't hear it because he was too confused and there was not much clarity? But somehow, when he got into that dirty water, when he came up with mud dripping, and the dirt falling off of him, and sitting there in the height of that moment, he was dirty enough to hear better. You are my son. You are my beloved. And I am pleased with you. And I know you're a little dirty now. Oh, God. And somebody ought to rejoice about that. Now, let me flip this again. Can you imagine when God gives divine confirmation when you are dirty? No, you didn't get this. That when God gives divine confirmation in those moments, when you're a little messy, and somehow the appearance of the mess don't stop God from declaring who you are. You are my child. 
And I don't care what the analysis is of those around you who think they know you. I know you. I don't care even how you feel about yourself connected to expectations of others or pressure you put on yourself. I know you. And, and does it mean I know your work? I know the particulars? No, I know you. And my knowing you is connected to my loving you. You are my child. Somebody needs to hear that today. Because you think that going in the muddy water means failure. Somehow you think being a little messy in this season means failure. And it's not whether or not you go into the mess or into the mud or into the murkiness. It's whether you can emerge out of it. Stronger than when you went in. More clear than when you went in. And more committed than when you went in. Committed? Yes. Yes. And can I add this to it? More clear, more committed, and more prepared. For what? You did not know that the beginning of this new season, this new assignment, clarity, would come this way. But look at what the scripture says. If you keep on reading, read it when you, later on while you're sitting around home. Read the rest of the story. Because after he comes out with this clarity from God, it then says that the spirit that descended on him was not there just to rest on his shoulder. The same spirit that descended is now the same spirit that pushes him and drives him into the wilderness to wrestle with the enemy, to wrestle with himself, to wrestle. But here it is. There's some fights you'll never win if you're not clear about who you are. You see, the reason why the temptations in the desert don't phase him and might phase other people. Is there something about when you hear God clearly about who you are, you can handle anything. In fact, when you're clear about identity, you can never be fooled into trying to prove yourself to anybody. He doesn't have to prove himself to the enemy. He doesn't have to prove himself to himself. He's ready. Why? Because he heard it clearly. You are my child. And in case somebody needs to hear that this morning, you are God's daughter. You are God's son. You are God's child. And God loves you, period. And God is pleased with you, period. And when you know that and internalize that and let that rest in your spirit and saturate your soul and arrest your convictions, you you can face anything after that because you're clear about who you are because most of us miss the moments in our lives trying to prove to unproven people who we are. No. 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 In my 52 years of living, I've learned that sometimes the best work that God has allowed me to do was before the mud dried up on me. While still a little messy, still a little damaged, still a little dirty, but God still sees me. And I can emerge from the muddy waters clear and clean about who I am. Beloved, Somebody needed to hear this today. I don't know what stage you are in your journey. Maybe you're where Jesus was before he started his three-day journey wrestling. Or maybe you're on the journey towards that place you know you need to be. Have you ever felt that? Where you knew you just needed to be in this space or in this place and something was pulling you there. You didn't know why until you got there. Maybe you're in that place. Or maybe you're on the banks of the river. 
wondering whether or not you should step in and take that chance. It can be a frightening place. Not just the journey, but when you are on the banks of your breakthrough, on the edge of your emerging, sometimes the scariest place to be. But I've learned a lesson years ago that I've shared in other spaces. Came from one of our spiritual retreats at Edie Farm. And one morning before the retreat began, I woke up early, went out on the porch of the main house, and it was fall going into wintertime. The trees were a little barren. But even with no leaves on them, what I saw was that those trees, barren and seemingly lifeless because you couldn't see the fruit, leaves, trees, were all leaning towards the water. Even the trees knew to lean towards life. Maybe you on the riverbanks, like those trees as the psalmist is planted by the river. Instead of wrestling on the edge, doubting on the bank, beloved, lean in. Lean in. And let that murkiness wash over you. Remember, it's the precursor sometimes to clarity. It's the phase of the journey on your way to breakthrough. And sometimes it's a necessary condition for you to walk in the fullness of your assignment. Don't run from the muddy waters. Because sometimes you step in cautiously, but step in. Sometimes you feel a little hesitant step in because God is calling in this season and know this that no matter what you feel no matter what you go through God knows your name he knows your name God knows your name knows who you are that's why that voice becomes so clear. And I got to be honest, for me in my life, the clarity of God's voice sometimes has come in the most miserable of moments. It is as if God's voice breaks through the chaos and confusion and murkiness and finds a place of rest in my spirit. And it awakens my soul. Some people don't understand this season you're in. You tell them this chapter of my life is called Muddy Waters. But it ain't the last chapter of the story. It's the precursor to a new day in your life, beloved. The precursor to a new day in your life because it does not yet appear what you shall be. Come on, beloved. Lean in. Lean in. Let's talk to God. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you tonight. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment.
Thank you for this clarity. God, you see our wrestlings and our rumblings. You see our struggles and our strife. And we're so glad that in the midst of seeing that, you know us. God, thank you because today your word reminds us that you've been with us every step of the way in our wrestlings and in our rumblings. You've been there. And you've been with us even in those moments, oh God, we found ourselves stepping in some Jordan rivers waiting for us to come out on the other side. And you speak that word into our spirit. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for reminding us of who we are. In those moments, we need to be reminded. Thank you for reminding us how loved we are. Thank you for reminding us how pleased you are with us. God, thank you. Thank you. And God, thank you because this morning there are some who can run on a little bit longer because they don't live under the weight of beating themselves down because of some artificial timetable connected to success. For it is in our living, in our moving, our doing, in our being that we experience and encounter you. God, thank you. Thank you, God. Now, oh God, help us to know in our hearts that our emergence from the mess coincides with the mightiness of your voice so that we do not rise out of the muddy water thinking that this defines us because your voice speaks to us in the midst of our misery. Thank you. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. And we say amen. Amen. And amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward.